Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, an argument for global data networks with a special guest, Helen Evan, Principal Technologist at Macrometa. Alan, hey, welcome to the show. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Darren. Nice to be here. <laughs> hey, Alan, we've been talking for what, four months? Has it been that long? It could be longer. Yeah, it could be longer. Feels it like could it. could be longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I have been told I'm long-winded, but not that long-winded. No, I, think, um, I think it's been... We've, it's we've been, been actually... Yeah, about six months. Wow. You and I wrote a I white paper so. together um, specifically on this, and um, it was actually pretty cool because we met every Wednesday, my morning, your afternoon, uh, for a good portion of that <laughs> yeah. six months and talked about things. It was a, a yeah, little bit did. crazy. Was great but, um, very, very, very early yeah, for you. It, it was very convenient. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Next next one, we'll have to reverse the roles where uh, I get up. Yeah, there, there you go. You, you get up at uh, three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> All right, hey, let let's dive right right into this. What what do you feel is the most important aspect as we move forward into twenty twenty three and and beyond? We've got data spread all over the place. What do you feel is kind of the the key? aspect of managing this data all over the place? I think first, that's a great question, by the way, but I think the, the first point when I think about it, it's, you know, I hate to use the term paradigm shift. People always use it, don't they? Paradigm shift. But the big shift for me, yeah, I think, when I think about enterprise architectures and applications is, you know, at some point you always get to the data, right? There's a data problem or a data use case behind it all. Um, that's what drives these applications. And I think up until very recently, you know, what we call legacy approaches to, to data processing and data management have been largely okay. And when I think about that, I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, big data, batch-based processing, you know, generating insights and then, you know, a data scientist looking at, you know, that and querying it and, and exploring it and then, you know, trying to produce some sort of uh, actionable insight that then they will, you know, they will then use and, and feed into the rest of whatever business they are, they are running, right? And I think with the advent of, you know, modern high-performance networks, connected things, you know, so Internet of Things, you know, we're seeing an exponential increase in data. And the challenge with that is, you know, you no longer really can afford to have, or the only way to look at insight, having a human in the loop. It can't be your only solution for these modern applications and the solutions. You can't have a human there waiting for data to be pulled from wherever it's being generated at whatever cost, put into a big data lake, and then you know start to turn the handle on it and try to generate some insights, and then and then sometime in the you know later on, you know try to do something about it. And I think that the big shift here is that from the legacy big data slow data approach to how do I deal with you know, 
billions of connected devices, you know, where the value of data is fleeting and I need to be able to action that data uh, in a very short order. I, I like how you put a temporal aspect to data and its value. I and mean, we talked about this several times and we'll talk about it more today that data as it ages does not become more valuable. It becomes less valuable um, for, for actionable insight, uh, which I think is fascinating mm. uh, perception. As you said, it's kind of today when we look at um, data, science and insight, most of it is this big methodical, I got to do this, I got to do that. It's just slow, right? Mm. And I will get insight on what happened weeks or months or even years later. And there's no sense of urgency, but I think there is now. There's a sense of urgency, but we haven't quite caught up with it. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think we've, you know, there's various, there's, there's no canonical view of this, in my opinion. There's lots of contributing views that, I think if you expose yourself to the to the to the trends and the initiatives that are going on across multiple industries, you know, you start to see a lot of um, synergies between them, right? And I think the one that stands out to me is, you know, when we first started talking about, you know, artificial intelligence, for example, it was, well, you know, we collect all this data; um, it's got to be good data, so we have to clean it. Um, we then want to use it to train our models. And, um, you know, that's great. We've now got a model that's trained. We can now ask it questions and get an insight out of it effectively, you know, removing the human from the loop, albeit after, you know, the human has now moved roles. They're now no longer providing the insight. They're now training a model to provide the insight. So it's not, you know, I don't want to get into that kind of thing. But, you know, even once you've trained the model, you know, so to your point of data value, I think, you know, yeah. Real-time data has immense value. Historical value, historical data has value when you put it in the context of training a model so that it can act on new real-time in the moment data, right? And the challenge there is, is that you, you know, you build these models and then they're sitting out in a central location somewhere when the data is typically being, that, it, that you want it to act upon is being generated, you know, in the human world, right? Uh, right at the edge. You know, and um, right, right out on the edge, right? Introduced... Yeah, so right on the edge, <laughs> the real edge, where where we all are, you know, where our devices are, and you know that that you know having a three hundred millisecond or, or longer round trip time to my AI inference to get an insight kind of defeats the object of building the model in the first place because I'm I'm looking for a a real time actuation and insight into what is going on in the moment. I can't afford to have that pushed out centrally, right? I need it close to where the data is being generated. Well, and that brings up something you came up, I thought it was brilliant in our paper, which was the three laws of uh, edge computing. Um, you you yeah. called it the laws of physics, the law, of, the law of economics, and the third one, what was it? Oh, the law of the land. Oh, um, law of the land. Fascinating yeah, exactly. insight. Yeah. So explain the explain those three laws real quick. What? Sure, why? Sure. Why would you put? 
laws on edge. Edge is the Wild West. We can do whatever we feel like, right? <laughs> well, we should definitely we should definitely go into it with that mindset. It's not about putting laws on it. It is about thinking. You know, it's about reality, right? What's yeah, reality? it's 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 about sort of. So when I think about the laws, they're they're more than I think laws is probably a bit marketing sort of sort of term, but more guidelines as to how I to like think it. about what kind of characteristics requirements does your application have, and how do you, how do you kind of classify them, right? And the first way to think about it is you know, the laws of physics. So you can think of a, an edge application in the context of the laws of physics, usually from like the speed of light and, and the, you know, the connectivity between endpoints. So, you know, an edge application by definition is one that, you know, reduces the distance between endpoints. All right. Okay. So having a low latency connect connection, you know, in macrometer sense, we, you know, we have a sub 50 uh, P90, uh, round trip time okay um you know much lower in, in in other places and you know but then you've got the concept of um you know propagation delay as well so when i think about the laws of physics i'm thinking about it in a couple of different dimensions as well <laughs> so uh not just the distance between endpoints but also how long does it take to process data and what what technology should i use to actually handle that processing of data so you know i've i've worked with enterprises in the past who you know have attempted to build an edge solution and uh, they've used you know some of these legacy big data kind of approaches and um, you know they've deployed it at the edge and completely negated the, the benefit from the laws of physics perspective so there's yes you've got a low round trip time but the tech you put in place is still processing data like um, you know you know 10 years ago um so therefore you there's no benefit of doing it right so you have to when you think of the laws of physics it's as i say it's a combination of you know round trip time latency but also the propagation delay of the data through the system itself well so second, i'm glad you brought that up because in some in in some cases right we have edge devices that are so far out at the edge that the connectivity and those laws of physics like you said um just make it that latency is is there and and you've got to deal with it you can't just say well i'm just going to ignore the speed of light i'm going to ignore that my device is on a satellite that's you know 1500 miles away or yeah. even further yeah, or yeah. on the other side of the world and i'm trying to connect these two endpoints that are you know 15000 miles away you're going to have some latency with that well yeah so i'm glad you brought that point up well yeah and to i think to that point as well you know when you talk about the laws of physics it's like you think about put yourself in the perspective of the um you know the the enterprise and their application and, and the user experience they want to have so i can't think of an application where you know an enterprise where they don't want to have a good experience for the for their you know their clients or their consumers or their devices or whatever right the challenge is you know and you you can solve that quite simply by reducing you know the round trip time to the of the endpoints for sure but it's like yes we mentioned propagation delay so i'm not going to go into that again but then the next challenge is how do you handle that on global scale how do you provide a consistent experience for whatever your endpoints are your devices your humans whatever on global scale you know rather than what you get today with a centralized approach where 
you know, somebody in New York is getting a, a great experience and somebody, you know, uh, on the other side of the planet is getting a really poor experience. It's like, well, how do I enable those devices, those users to interact with the application with, you know, high performance, you know, the law of physics, but at global scale. Okay. And the edge needs to take those sorts of things into account. Well, and, and this brings up the next point because most people would say, well, just have more uh, substations or endpoints connected in, and just make uh, short hops between things. But then you have uh, the law of economics, right? Mm. I, I can't deploy a million devices out there. It's too expensive. So explain a little bit on your law of economics. We've got to make this reasonable, right? It can't just- Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, the, the law of economics, you know, when I, when I thought about this, you know, it's as much about what you said, uh, but also includes really that the value of that data itself, you know, and this comes back to the, the, the value of data is fleeting. Okay. So it's like, as, as we go forward in, you know, with, you know, into 2023 and beyond, you know, the amount of data that's being generated from the edges, is just growing exponentially. I forget the exact numbers we can probably look that up but it's uh zettabytes i think of, of data that's predicted to be generated from the edge and it's like how are you going to process that you know at the, the top of our chat we talked about you know the old sort of architecture or process of of backhauling all that data to a central location and then a, and a human trawling over it it's like is that really going to be cost effective i mean from a from just from a data processing perspective is that the most cost effective way to do it there's a lot of noise in the signal as well when you do that is all the data you're back hauling is that is that you know the valuable to you or is it specific is it insights yeah yeah is is it the insights that value or is it the data that's valued did you really want to pull all that data or just a subset of it or did you not want to pull a subset did you actually want to process it and get to the point where you're converting raw data into valuable insight, you know, as it's being generated so you can actuate it. So the law of economics is, is not just about moving data from one location to the, to another. It's, it's about monetizing data, right? It's about whether that's, that's saving, you know, money, whether or not it's generating new revenue, any of those things, it's like the economics around the data itself and, if you process the data at the edge as opposed to at a central location, does this op does does this open up new economic models and uh, business models for you as a business that that will that will mean the difference between going out of business or, or or being successful, having happy customers or unhappy customers? Right. Okay. That, let's let's talk about the third law, right? Because we've got physics, economics, and now the law of the land. Are, are, you, are, are you applying the privacy laws here? Is that what you're, you're talking yeah, about here? Yeah, totally. So the law of the land is, 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 is a fun one, isn't it? I mean, one of the, you know, we're also looking at a model here where, you know, a lot of enterprises have been, you know, yeah, sure. A lot of enterprises have done the whole lift and shift and they've put their, their applications in a central location. But there's an awful lot of enterprises out there that, that can't do that. And, you know, they have a heavy investment in on-prem data centers. Um, and, you know, these can be for a number of different reasons, right? It could be the, 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 the privacy aspect of it. Uh, it could, and those, those could be, depending on the, the industry that you're talking about, that could be a, 
a legislative or a regulative um, requirement for them to do data processing. So it's financial data, maybe it's close to a stock exchange, um, you know, maybe it's a manufacturing company. Um, maybe they have uh, policies in place that, that they've imposed on themselves that this is our policy of how we want our data to be managed. Um, but they're going through a transformation where they really want to take advantage of, you know, the, the, the kind of modern sort of OPEX driven business model of cloud computing, whilst maintaining the performance you get from having an on-prem data center and the security that comes with that. And the edge really, when we talk about the law of the land is really considering those things. So whether or not these are, you know, healthcare data that needs to be handled very securely, um, perhaps captured at the edge, processed at the edge, but anonymized in some way, um, or it could be, as I say, it could be, you know, uh, financial data or, or, or um, you know, uh, pub, um, government data that needs to be kept uh, in a secure location and processed at, even at a zip code or postcode level. I, I, I love, I love these three things kind of merged together because to me, we call them laws, but really they're, what's the right word? They're, um, uh, not even impediments. They're just the operating environment that you're in. I mean, yeah, right? you, like you, you guiding, can't get away from it. Guiding principles of, of how yeah. to think about what, what, what do we mean when we talk about edge, right? From a, from a first principles perspective, you know, why are we doing this? What's, what are the driving factors? And, uh, you know, as I say, I think these three laws, they're not really laws, but, uh, you know, they, they do tend to guide your thinking when considering the, the why and the how and the what of edge computing. So, so if we tie those now to what we call data characteristics, right? Mm. We've got data has characteristics in this environment that has these three laws. And, and what we, we talked a lot about this. A lot of people, when they think about data characteristics, the common things come up, data size, how frequency, uh, how frequent am I generating data? Uh, where is the data located, where it's being generated? And then you get into types of data. Is it like video data? Is it audio? Is it text? Is it, you know, <clears throat> in, encrypted? All, all those sorts of things. And you have the privacy access. But the one thing I want us to delve into even more, and we've been hinting on it, is data spoilage. This was a new one for me. You guys introduced this concept to me that data spoils over time, like the rotten bananas in my in my kitchen, right? You buy yeah. them green. No one wants to eat them. And then, you know, later on they're brown and no one wants to eat them again. There's that sweet spot, right? Where yeah, yeah, you absolutely. can actually do something with those bananas. Yeah, no, totally. I yeah, I, I think a lot about the the the, the perishable spoilage of data. Uh, you know, and I think it's you can again there's there's a number of ways to think about it there's one of the use cases or you know it's not even a hypothetical use case but certainly you know a use case i think of you know one of my years ago i used to work in the broadcast and tv and media industry you know not 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 on the producing but on the you know the architecture and the business development kind of thing as a vendor and we did a lot of targeted advertising you know so and i remember the shift between you know just carte blanche you know, blanket advertising where you just, everyone gets the same ad to that once the connectivity was introduced and you could start to understand a little bit more about who was viewing 
you could actually put the viewer or the user into categories of advertising, so campaigns. So you'd have various campaigns that would have a profile and you would, you know, you'd match them up. And when the ads came on, you'd be able to target them with a specific advert, right? And when I think about that in the context of, you know, data, you know, it, it's the, I think there's a, there's a lot of parallels to it. So, so imagine you were, maybe you're, you know, you've got your phone on you, it's connected, you've subscribed to uh, an app that basically gives you offers around, you know, wherever you are in the world. Now, say it's, say it's based in a, in a city and you're, you're, you know, you're walking along the street and you're, the, the app, you've subscribed to it. So it's not, you know, it's not imposing on your, you know, in your time and anything, you want it to notify you of stuff, right? So say you're walking down the street and, you know, you, you know, there's, there's different, there's a lot of things fighting for your attention of, of, of what happens. And there's a, there's a retail store just ahead of you that, um, you know, has a number of offers on, they would really like you to walk into the store. How, when is the best time to, to ping me on the app, notify me on the app of, you know, when I should pop in the shop? Is it, when I'm on the walk, when I'm walking there, when I'm right outside or when I'm already down the street thinking about what's on, right? Obviously, you know, it's about as I'm approaching the store, you can get away with doing it if I'm stood outside, but in an ideal world, you want to be, you know, letting me know that, Hey, you know, you're, we notice you're about, you know, 50 yards away from our shop. We've got a great offer. If you come in today, we'll sweeten it even further or something like that. But if you try to use that data, oh yeah, oh, yeah this guy was walking past my shop the other day. It's like, who cares? <laughs> you know, and that's, I think that is <laughs> the, the, the epitome of the perishable data. It's like, yeah, did you know Alan was walking past, you know, whatever shop the other day? And they're like, well, that's great. And all. maybe we'll get him next time. You know, but by then, you know, the shopping experience, <laughs> that that the opportunity to bring me into the store is, has gone, right? I mean, not, lots of people probably would answer that question with the the old uh, automotive use cases, you know, about you know breaking deadlock between um, you know uh, in potential collision environments, and of course, those those are are super high risk. And I think that's another part of edge computing that an app, the building of applications around real time data that. You know, there's there's the fun stuff like I just talked about, like you know, a shopping experience. You know, the ability to do advertising, which is really important in a retail environment, but it's not life critical, right? It's not like uh, it's not it's not critical infrastructure, right? Yeah, yeah. But you can, but the the same rules apply, even though there's a potential for accident avoidance. Like if you're in a in a in, a, in the Air Force, the Royal Air Force, you know, you would have you know you have two different types of air traffic control, don't you? You have well, you have air traffic control, which is just dealing with people flying around in a non-combat environment. And then you have fighter control, which is dealing with like, you know, we really need to be keeping track of everything that's going on right now. And we need to be able to, and whilst the pilots are going to make their own decisions in a deadlock situation, we need to be able to answer it and react and provide them definitive life saving, you know, information from data in, in, in real time. Yeah. And it's like, so you've got those two ends of the spectrum. You've got the fun and you've got the, the extreme like that. Well, also what's interesting, let's go to the, the fighter control, for example. Mm. Yeah. I need that real-time information, but I also need to do, um, I hate to use the word post uh, post-mortem, but after the fact, 
I want to then go and say, what could we have done better? That goes into that training, right? Whether I'm training an AI model or I'm training people, there's still some additional value that comes out of data, which is wonderful. Unlike bananas, right? <laughs> Once they're spoiled, the only thing I can really do is banana nut bread, right? Or banana bread. Um, and that's all I get out of it, right? Um, right. So there's, there's still, even though there's data spoilage, there's still some intrinsic value out of data, even even as it spoils. Yeah, I, I'm laughing because we're a big f fan in this family of banana bread. It's it's like we we there you go. We, we let our banana spoil <laughs> because we know we're getting banana bread. Because um, so. you're getting banana bread. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. All right, so we, we we've talked about the yeah we talked about all these characteristics. We've talked about the operating environment, the laws. Mm -hmm. Let's talk briefly about the architectures that help us over uh, take it take advantage of the environment that we're in. Because mm -hmm. I can't just say one architecture is going to solve all my problems. We already know that, mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> there are some distinct architectural um, approaches to um, solving these these problems that we're talking about especially with edge computing and data um uh with all these different characteristics yeah yeah totally and i think that this is you know this is what i've seen over the over the years of working in the the edge space um and i think it does relate to the to some to, you know obviously the laws as well it would have to wouldn't it but the you know you can put compute pretty much anywhere you want and um you know within reason and you know and if if you are part of the value may be derived from unique points of presence itself um it, you know uh that, that you can take advantage of otherwise it's you know it's multi um uh what you call it neutral hosting right so you know anyone can put some hardware in there and, and that's a that's a great model um the next step up so you're talking about infrastructure as a service at this point and and that gets you so far but at some point you're going to want to build an application to run on that compute and you know if you're just running it in a single location you know then maybe the the proximity in the location is is sufficient for you to be able to almost if i can use the term lift and shift from wherever it is to that edge but as soon as you want to get what i said earlier about the um you know that consistency of experience whether it's a human or a device or whatever on a distributed stage right and a distributed system you know that becomes more challenging and it's not so easy just to pick off the shelf a few components and just say that's my tech stack and it's going to work globally because these this these are this this is complicated stuff to build a distributed system it's like how do you handle the consistency and reconciliation of data in a, in a distributed system whilst letting you put APIs on it. How do you deal with, um, you know, data at rest and data in flight? We're talking about real-time data here, right? So there's an off, predominantly, you know, you can be amiss at thinking that we're just focusing on data that's being generated in the moment. But to your point a few moments ago, you know, the banana bread, right? Part of the, say you're doing, a, you know, a, um, an ETL process, part of that process could be complex joins and, and, and data enrichment uh, as, you're, as you're processing, uh, extracting, transforming and lifting the data, right? So you, you need to have, st you start to get into this 
very complex environment where you realize that your application needs a well almost a small cost board of technologies to actually realize the kind of things you want to do and all of a sudden you're getting a lot of complexity and and i guess you know as as, as chayton always says you know computer science is always about um you know uh, abstracting complexity right and um and that's what we've done you know we have taken we're a very opinionated platform and i say opinionated because we know through our experience the kind of technologies that you know you need to have pre-integrated and uh, and customized to be able to build these kind of high performance real time applications that can take advantage of you know uh, data that has been collected and is available for historical, but then also allow you to combine it and with with real time data to provide real time actionable insights on a global scale. And I think that's to your question that 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 is the real challenge of 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 edge computing. It's like how do I go from a desire for a performance improvement for my application, whether or not it's a law of physics, whether it's an economic, or whether it's a law of the land to then actually taking into, into account, how does this work on global scale? Okay. And that's the real challenge. At right. The and yeah. And, and I, and I love that, that approach because that also says, because I'm taking into consideration the three laws, it says that I'm not necessarily processing all the data on the edge. I'm processing mm -hmm. it in the ecosystem, yeah. which gives me flexibility. Right. And, and I need that flexibility because as, as we mentioned, sometimes I need that real time insight and sometimes I need the data to spoil to produce great banana bread. Yes. Right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Where I'm, com where I'm combining stuff from other things and it takes more time. So I can't just say, no, everything's out on the edge or everything's centralized. It's gotta be, I have to be able to support multiple modes. And that's yeah. what I, I really love about your guys' approach to this. Yeah, I mean this. This is this is the thing. I mean, date. Uh, sorry, I was going to say something else, but um, the uh, distributed systems are not just. It would be wrong to assume that distributed system simply means um, you know I'm I'm replicating the exact same part of my application across every point of presence that I have available to me. You know, back when I was at university, the you know we I, I on my placement year. Um, I used to work with transputers, if you remember those, Darren. And, you know, we'd have one, oh, trans yeah, yeah. one transputer that did one thing. I don't remember the model numbers. It's too long ago. But we had one transputer that did one was good at one thing and another transputer that was good at another thing. And, and the trick there was to do parallel processing, you know, written in Occam across these, these transputers and use them for, for the, you know, to the, to their, um, you know, for the appropriate value that they bring. Right. And you can, you can draw a parallel no pun intended, um, back to, you know, distributed systems in cloud computing, right? So uh, you could have, you've got the edge that's perfect for doing, you know, real time, fast data processing to generate insights and, and all kinds of other cool things at the edge. And then you can use some more centralized approach for, feel like your machine learning. So you have that, that idea of a reinforcement learning is a great example. So federated or distributed reinforcement learning where you are running your inference at the edge but your your model training and, and update is 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 handled centrally, and then you're doing a an update of the edge inferences uh, dynamically. So you're combining the best of 
both you know uh, historical data and, and real time data, and not only that, the insights, right? So you you it's not just yes, I've got my real time data, my historical data, but you want to see what did you do with that data, um, those insights, sorry, uh, and then how do you feed all that back and then retrain and improve the model itself? So you're talking about building distributed systems, not just moving stuff from central locations to the edge. You're talking about building high performance applications that 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 use the capabilities uh, that are in the industry today um, for you, for the in the best possible way for your application. So I th- this this is great, um, Alan. Um, I, I think we I think we've kind of shown everyone. Hey, this is the problem space that we're in. You guys have a, a, I think a unique and fascinating uh, architectural approach to this by by um, handling all the complexity that's in a global data mesh, mm-hmm. handling function as a service <laughs> on top of that and the data governance part of that. We should spend a whole nother podcast just going more in depth into your guys' architecture. Um, but we don't have time today because we're already out of time, which really kind of read, 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 talk. You can read the white paper. <laughs> that would, that's probably, yeah, read the white paper. That's a good, that's a good primer. And, you know, we can always uh, redirect <laughs> people to the website and, uh, you know, they can they can read more about it there. So, uh, and we've got lots of... Uh, yeah, in fact, check out check out our website. You can find on embracingdigital.org. You can find a link to the white paper. Check out macrometa.io um, or .com. <laughs> it's macrometa.com. Dot com. All right. Yeah. Macrometa.com. Uh, to, and, and I'm sure you guys have a link up there um, uh, to yeah. this wonderful white paper that Alan and I wrote. Um, so, uh, Alan, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.